0: All right, my friends, if you have your Bibles with you, please go ahead and turn in them with me now to First Corinthians chapter seven, First Corinthians chapter seven, as we continue in our study of this amazing letter together. Today uh, we are going to consider how every Christian man and woman is gifted and called by God, no matter what their relational status may or may not be. Let's begin this morning by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 to 17. Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Ethan Hunt. Right, Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, is an agent of the Impossible Missions Force, or the IMF. Ethan and his fellow agents of the IMF are specifically trained to carry out seemingly impossible missions to protect their country and, at times, the whole world. In, in every Mission Impossible movie, all 28 of them at this point... There is always a clear mission that is given. At the beginning of each and every movie, Ethan Hunt receives a message that will self-destruct in a few short seconds, and those messages always begin with the words, your mission, should you choose to accept it, and then it explains the mission that needs to happen. Friends, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is in many ways like that communication about an important mission before us. Verse 17 in particular says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul is giving us all the gift this morning of a clear mission in this text. The mission has to do with living with and living for God. But, but how we carry that mission out often looks very different, and it often looks very different based on our relational status in life. Friends, have you ever thought of your current relational status as part of God's calling upon your life? Now, all of our relational statuses can be somewhat complicated. Being a single man or woman in the church is a complicated thing. Marriages, both good and hard marriages, are complicated things. Being widowed is a complicated thing. Walking through a painful divorce is complicated. All of this is, is complicated, and I imagine that for many of us, we may be tempted to think that God's plan for our lives is in some ways separate from our relational status at any given point in life. But friends, what we see in this text is that that is not true. God's purposes for our lives are not separate from our relational status, but very much a part of them. Today, God wants to gift us with an increased awareness of what we are called by God to be and to do, no matter what our relational status happens to be. Because of the gospel and the work that God has graciously done through the sacrifice of His Son, through the forgiveness of our sins and the hope that we have in Him today, He has given us a a holy ambition now to live a life on mission together. Whether we are single or married. Whether we are happily married or whether we are struggling in marriage. Whether we are married to a Christian husband or wife or whether we are married to a non-Christian husband or wife. Whether we are grieving the loss of our spouse either as a widow or as someone walking through a painful divorce. Whatever our relational status, God wants to give us a holy ambition today to live for him. He wants to give us a mission should we choose to accept it. Friends, the main idea for our message today is simply this. Every Christian is gifted and called by God no matter their marital status. We have four points today. Number one, the gift of singleness. Number two, the charge of marriage. Number three, the power of a Christian spouse. And number four, the allowance of divorce. Point number one, the gift of singleness. So verse seven begins with these words from Paul. I I wish, he says, that all were as I myself am, but but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. What what is Paul speaking of in this? Well, we know he's talking about his relational status because in the very next verse, in verse eight, he says that it is good for the unmarried and for the widow to remain single as he himself is. Why? Why? Why is it good to remain single as Paul is? Well, Paul will go on in verses 32 to 35, which we will look at next week, to talk about how married people are in some ways distracted from the mission of the church because of needing to care for their husband or wife. But in contrast to that, the unmarried or the single man or a woman is free to use their singleness in order, in his words, to be anxious about the things of the Lord, in order to be on mission for the kingdom in even greater ways. Paul the apostle is so kingdom-minded, he is so on mission, he so wants to live a life for the glory of God and for the good of the church that he wishes that all were like himself, a single man or woman. Listen, not because he's against marriage, Now, we saw last week that Paul is very pro-marriage. He promotes marriage even in this text. But he, he wishes that all were as he himself is in some ways because it would enable more of God's people to live more fully on mission rather than having to engage in marital responsibilities and concerns. Paul the Apostle knows this firsthand He knows this in his own experience. He is a single man. He knows the strategic nature of living as a single person within the kingdom of God. It enables you, however long you are in that season of singleness, to be on mission even more than those who are married. So Paul wishes that all were as he himself is. Friends, let let me pause right here and let me celebrate the fact that the local church is made up of both unmarried and married men and women. See, oftentimes the the church gets this wrong, and oftentimes the church becomes marriage-centric in how they live. Oftentimes those who are unmarried within the church feel in some ways like second-tier Christians, like, like the church orients towards those who are either married or have kids. But friends, that should not be. And by God's grace, that will not be here at Redeemer Fellowship because God's word celebrates those who are unmarried, and and Paul's words here are the absolutely uh, speak of the absolutely essential part that unmarried people play in the life of the local church. Not just because they can serve more and they can go and babysit for those who have kids, but because of who they are, their love for Jesus, their their personalities, their gifts, their leadership skills, the the time that they have. And so listen, if you are unmarried here today, whether because you have never been married or because you are widowed or divorced, we want you to know that we love you, (laughs) We love you and we celebrate you and that we need you in our lives. This, this is one of the reasons why I love our fellowship group structure and how married and singles are not separated from each other, but they live together day after day and how we go through seasons together. We need each other. Now, how we live on mission might look a little different at times. We all have the same mission, which is the glory of God throughout the world, but we all have different expressions of that mission. How a single man or a woman lives on mission will likely look very different than how a married man or woman lives on mission. But what if you don't like that very much? What, what if you hate being single? What if you do not feel like you have the, the gift of singleness as some people call it oftentimes when we talk about the gift of singleness we're talking about someone who doesn't even feel called to be married at any point in their life they feel called by God to live a single and a, a celibate life for the glory of God and for the service of the church but what if that is not you what if you really want marriage but have not been able to enjoy it yet is singleness still a gift for you Friend, you might want to say, no, no, this is not a gift. In fact, it feels more like a curse. I hate being single. I want marriage so badly that every day feels like torture to me. You might even say, yes, I understand how a single person has more capacity for service and for living on mission, but it doesn't feel like a gift. In fact, it feels like something I begrudge. I know God is using it, perhaps, but it feels more like a gift to himself or to others, but not to me. But friends, here is how 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is so very helpful. When Paul says in verse 7 that each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, I do not think that he's speaking only about whether we are single or married. I think he's speaking about being given the gift of direction in life, purpose in life, regardless of what season of life we are in. And I think this because from verse 7 all the way down to verse 24, even beyond our text today, Paul talks about every relational status possible. He talks about marriage and the challenges within marriage. He talks about singleness. He talks about the pain of being a widow. He talks about the difficulty of being married to a non-Christian. He talks about the sorrow of separation and divorce. Later on, he will even talk about just desiring to be with different groups of people. He talks about being a bondservant and the implications of desiring freedom from your master. He talks about all kinds of relationships in our lives. And then in verse 24, he concludes that section by saying, So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Paul is taking all of us and he is seeking to show us that we are all called by God to live the life that the Lord has assigned to us and to which he has called us. That's verse 17. Again, he's trying to give us purpose and direction no matter what season of life we happen to be in right now. And friends, whether we like our current relational status or not, I believe that this reality of God calling us to live for him wherever we are in life is in fact a gift and it is what Paul speaks of in verse 7. Now now I do believe that there is a gift of singleness. Certain people have a spiritual gift that has given them ambition to remain single for their entire lives and we praise God for that and some people call that the gift of singleness but I don't think that's what Paul is about speaking about here. When he says, each has a gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, he's speaking of all of us and the gift of being on mission wherever we are in life. The gift, according to verse 17, of being given an assignment, a calling, a mission. And friends, this, this is a gift because in this world so many of us can feel aimless throughout all of life. We can feel like our relationships, if our relationships are not what we want them to be, then we don't have a clear purpose and direction. We don't have a calling. But Paul is challenging that today in our thinking. He's saying we all have the gift of an assignment, a mission, if we choose to accept it, that, that might seem impossible and unwanted and maybe even unwelcome at times, but that is for the good of our souls and for the good of those around us. And th- this is a gift, the gift of direction is, is, is wonderful because it gives singles who are aimless in their singleness something to live for. It gives unhappily married people purpose in the midst of their unhappy and unsatisfying marriage. The gift of direction helps those who are grieving the loss of a spouse to, to not feel aimless in their widowhood. We, we all, no, no matter our marital status, need to be reminded of the calling on our lives before God and we can be envisioned for the mission that we are all on together. Friends, you need to see and celebrate this gift wherever you are in life. God has given you a purpose. He has given you direction and it is to live for his glory and for the upbuilding of his church. Now that does not mean that you will always be in the place that you are right now. Even though Paul says in verse twenty-four that we are to remain with God in that place, that doesn't mean that that season or that place is ever not ever going to change. In fact, he indicates that it often does. But the direction will enable us to have purpose and direction as we remain there right now. This is true for those who are unmarried, and this is true for those who are married. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two: the charge of marriage. The charge of marriage, after speaking to the unmarried and, and to, the, to the widows and, and sharing the opportunity that they have to live for the Lord, Paul moves, moves quickly to those who are married. And friends, I love how this works because we can all tend to think that marriage is always the happier option in life that those who are married in the church are those who are truly blessed. But it needs to be acknowledged that marriage is not always easy. In fact, it's oftentimes very difficult. And so in the same way that the unmarried or the single brother or sister can struggle with discontent, so married couples also who may not be experiencing marital bliss as they once did, so they need to be reminded of the gift of God's calling on their lives God wants to give purpose and direction and a calling to those who are struggling daily through their marriages. Look look at verses 10 and 11. He, He says to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. So through this text, Paul is acknowledging really the the prevalence of divorce in the Greco-Roman world. Divorce was very, very common in that day, even as it is common in our day. And Paul is wanting to to push back against this unbiblical and ungodly and secular tendency. Once again, he, he wants to honor marriage as being designed and as a gift from God. When he says... To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. What he means there is simply that, that Jesus himself, our Lord, gave instruction about this very topic as well. And we can see that in Mark chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus and Paul and really all of God's word honors and celebrates and protects the covenant of marriage. Marriage is of God. It is central to his design for his people. And so Paul's statement is simple and it is very direct. The wife should not separate from her husband. And then he ends the paragraph with the husband should not divorce his wife. The the, the word separate and divorce mean the same thing in this text. In our day, we have a category for separation and then another category for divorce. But that's not what Paul is speaking of here. Both of these words mean divorce. In fact, the the Greek word for separation, there's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 19 when he explicitly talks about divorce. So so Paul is saying that neither the wife nor the husband should, should pursue an improper or an unbiblical divorce. And we say that he is... Forbidding an improper or unbiblical divorce, because we do understand from Jesus and from Paul that there are certain allowances for divorce within God's word. Those two allowances are adultery and abandonment from their spouse. But here in verses 10 to 11, Paul's not talking about the two permissible instances of divorce. He's talking about improper instances for divorce. When a husband or wife, a Christian husband or wife, pursue divorce without the biblical grounds of adultery or abandonment, Paul is directly saying divorce is bad. Divorce should not be pursued by a Christian. Church, listen, God at times permits divorce. He has allowances for it. But it's true from God's word that he never celebrates divorce. And so unless they have biblical grounds for divorce, the wife should remain with her husband and the husband should remain with his wife. And Paul says if they do pursue an improper divorce, if they divorce without the biblical grounds of adultery or abandonment, then they should remain single or unmarried or else they compound the sin by committing adultery with someone else. All of this is why Paul says to the married, I give this charge. He he is correcting. He is charging. He is adjusting the secular thinking that had crept into the church. He's wanting, church, to re-envision us for the beauty and the holiness of the covenant of marriage. Marriage is not something that Christians quit on. You know, sometimes we, we think that marriage is in particular danger in our day and age, but the fact is that that marriage has always been in danger. Again, the the Roman world had a very, very low view of marriage. Divorce was rampant back then. A, A lifelong marriage relationship was almost just as rare in Paul's day as it is in our day. But Paul comes against this for the church. Paul gives this charge. Paul says that this should be different for God's people. Why? Because God has a calling and a mission on your life. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Husbands and wives, we need to be re-envisioned for what marriage is before our God. It is holy. It is beautiful. It is powerful. It is powerful. It's not always easy. In fact, many times it's very hard. But the covenant of marriage is one of God's primary ways of displaying his gospel in living colors to the world around us. It's one of his primary ways of demonstrating his sustaining and empowering grace to a weak and needy world. Husbands and wives, listen. Listen. As we don't quit on our marriage, as we pursue reconciliation when we are divided from each other, as we ask for forgiveness on a daily basis, as we endure relational strain and marital disappointment, even over many, many years, as we do, we honor and we glorify God who designed marriage and who has given it to us as a gift. Husbands and wives, Your mission, should you choose to accept it, and God has grace for you today to accept it, your mission is to love that imperfect man or woman that you are married to and to honor God by laying your life down for them and by not quitting. Do not check out. Do not resign yourself to discontent. God is charging you today to love and to promote and to invest into the marriage that he has given to you. He's charging you to have a holy ambition to persevere in the marriage that he has given to you. And this charge, this call, is a gift to you. In a world that wants to give you a get-out-of-jail-free card and tells you to leave your spouse behind whenever things become uncomfortable, it is a gift to us that God calls us to persevere because it's through persevering that we will oftentimes find the joy and the fulfillment that we long for in our marriage and and even when we don't find the exact marriage that we are hoping and praying for, we will still experience the grace of God in our lives individually in a way that we never would have if we had not persevered by God's grace. Now, do we need to be careful Do we need to be careful about calling spouses to remain with their husband or a wife when they may be in an abusive or dangerous situation? Absolutely we do, and we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. Paul's charge here is not to needlessly subject yourself to danger within the home, but rather to have a greater vision for how God can and will redeem and renew Christian marriages, which seem so broken. But we have to be careful as we lead through that. Wives and husbands, your marriage is worth fighting for. And that brings us to our third point. Point number three, the power of a Christian spouse. You might think that Paul has covered all of the categories at this point within the church. I mean, he's spoken to the unmarried and he's, he's spoken to the married in the church. Really, who else is there to speak to? But, but I love how, how Paul doesn't stop with those two categories. Paul is wonderfully pastorally sensitive to everyone within the church and he wants to speak directly to them. Look at verse 12. Paul says, "'To the rest I say, I, not the Lord.'" And and, and by that, he he only means that this is now a topic that Jesus, our Lord, didn't speak directly to himself, but, but it's still being spoken authoritatively from God through Paul. He says, "'To the rest I say, I, not the Lord.'" that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So Paul is, Paul is turning his attention now to, to what would have been fairly common in that day and which is common in our day as well, which is a religiously mixed marriage. We know from other parts of God's word that a Christian man or a Christian woman is never to marry or to pursue an or a non-Christian man or woman for marriage. So Paul is not speaking of a situation that came about in that way. No, he's talking about how how likely in the first century as the gospel began to spread throughout the world and as it began to, to transform lives that, that there were likely couples, men and women, who were both at one time pagan, who were both at one time non-Christian, but then the husband or the wife heard the glorious message of the gospel and were saved by God's grace. They put their faith in Jesus. They became a Christian even though their spouse did not. In that day, we assume that this would have been fairly common as the gospel began to spread. Peter talks about this very same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3. But when this happened, there would have been many challenges involved. It's not easy to be married to someone who believes something different from you. It is hard to be married to someone who does not share your conviction. It's hard to be united on a daily basis with your spouse if they do not share your same love for Jesus. And so when this happened and when this happens today, oftentimes the easiest way forward is just to think about divorce. Oftentimes, rather than being divided as a couple about something as important as your religious convictions, back then men and women would just say, let's just go our separate ways. And we're going to talk in just a moment about how Paul says that when it's the unbelieving partner who insists upon a divorce, that the, the Christian spouse is not bound, that there may be an instance like that, but, but that's not what he begins with. That's not what has to be. There's an allowance there, but Paul starts in verse 12 by saying, listen, if any brother, if any Christian man has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, Or if any woman, he says, any Christian wife has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her. But Paul says, if the unbelieving spouse says, okay, I don't don't believe in this Jesus that you're worshiping. I certainly don't get your new level of, of convictions about strange things. I don't get why you get up early on a Sunday morning to go to church and why you have to spend every Tuesday night at your friend's house for for fellowship. I don't get all of that. But I love you and I want to work through this. If if that is the non-Christian spouse's response, the Christian spouse should remain faithful to them. They should invest into that marriage. Why? Well, because even though that is not a Christian marriage, it is now a mission field. Look at what Paul says. He says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Paul is powerfully saying that the the faithful humility and the faithful witness of a Christian husband or a Christian wife towards their non-Christian spouse, it will oftentimes be used by God to save their unbelieving husband or wife from the power of their sins. Friends, this is the power of a Christian spouse within the church, But Paul even goes so far as to say that a Christian man or a Christian woman married to a non-Christian in humility and with patience will have a saving effect on their children. Look at verse 14, he says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. When I talk to brothers and sisters in Christ who are married to non-Christians, one of the one of the very real and greatest concerns that they have is rightly for their children. What does it mean for my kids not to be discipled by a Christian father? What does it mean for them not to have a Christian mother? Won't my unbelieving husband's bad language, won't his secular perspectives, won't her ungodly thinking and thoughts poison my children? Well, Paul seems to say that the that the power of a Christian spouse will have an effect not just on the unbelieving spouse, but even upon the children, that their faith, that their courage, that their forbearance and patience will be a picture of Christ within the home and that he will even win them over to himself. Now, does Paul promise that? No, he doesn't promise it. He doesn't say it will always happen, but he seems to say that it often does. I'll never forget how God did this in my own family. One of my biggest memories as a child was when I was young, up through my teenage years, praying daily for my grandfather to believe in Jesus. My mom's parents lived up in Maine. My grandfather was just a hard-working paper mill worker. I don't remember exactly what age my grandmother was, say but I think it was around the age of 40 and so she came to Jesus well into their marriage, well into their family life and began to live boldly for him but my grandfather wanted nothing to do with his wife's newfound faith, with her relationship with Jesus. He would even mock her Christian faith. I remember visiting him and my great aunt and them laughing about the idea of heaven and hell. He was a faithful spouse, he was a gentle man, but entirely indifferent to Jesus and to the church, and at times hostile towards them. And that was hard for my grandmother. But God used my grandmother, first of all, to shape her children. God used her faithfulness to instill a faith in Jesus, in her kids, that lasts even to this day, many years later. But grandpa would have none of it. He didn't believe And so we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed and we prayed, I think 25 years the family prayed for, and I'll never forget the one Sunday afternoon when we got a strange phone call from my grandmother, and I saw my mom weeping on the phone, and I thought my grandfather had died. We thought it was bad news, but it wasn't. It was the best news possible. That morning at church, he had given his life to Jesus, and his life was forever transformed. He was saved. And he never looked back. And so much of what God did happened through the faithfulness of my grandmother to love Jesus first and then find ways to love and respect her husband second, to live her life as a witness of God's amazing grace in her. Friend, if you are here today and your husband or your wife is not a Christian, here's what I want to say to you. Here's what I think, Paul, here's what I think God himself wants to say to you this morning. God sees you. He loves you. He is working through you. Your faith and your patience and your endurance are not in vain. He is at work in your life and in the lives of those within your home. And please, No, your church family is praying for you. Your church family is with you. We know how hard it is to come to church without your spouse. We believe that God has good in store for you and even for those within your home. Look at what Paul says. He says, How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? He just puts the expectation out there that God is at work, even within that difficult situation. Talk about a seemingly impossible mission. But God has grace for you there. And that brings us to point number four, the allowance of divorce. Very quickly here, Even as Paul talks about the power of a Christian spouse and how God will often use the faith of a believing man or woman to win over their unbelieving husband or wife to the gospel, even as he says that, he acknowledges that that will not always be the case. And he gives allowance for divorce. Look at verse 15. He says, If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, the, the Christian husband or wife, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And what he means there is that if the non-Christian spouse wants out of the marriage, if they are insisting on living in a way that is directly contrary to the covenant of marriage, Paul says, it's okay. Paul says that divorce in this circumstance might be unavoidable. And, and the Christian spouse shouldn't quickly run away from that marriage. We should fight to remain married as long as we can. But it becomes sometimes unavoidably clear that the spouse, the unbelieving spouse, is done with the marriage covenant. The, and the believing spouse is not bound. The Christian spouse does not have to, to fight tooth and nail to keep that marriage intact. Nor do they need to feel, fearless, uh, feel needless guilt if it ends in divorce. Paul says, God has called you to peace. Being willing to to peacefully separate might actually be a powerful witness to our faith and to our trust in Jesus. Friends, we understand this to be the second allowance for divorce within God's word. Divorce should never be celebrated, nor should it ever be pursued quickly but christians have allowance from scripture to divorce when their spouse has been sexually unfaithful or when they are living contrary to their marriage vows when they have abandoned their spouse either physically even at times emotionally or in other ways now now what about when two christians or professing christians are pursuing divorce What about when you have a couple in the church and one of them begins to live in a way that is contrary to their marriage covenant? Either they abandon their spouse by moving out and living somewhere else and not caring for them, or they abandon their spouse by being relationally absent. What if a Christian husband or a Christian wife entirely, or a claimed Christian husband or wife, entirely neglects their marriage covenant through their actions? through their neglect, perhaps through their abuse. What happens then? Well, that would begin the process of church discipline, which we have talked about in this letter already. That would begin the Matthew 18 process of calling that husband or wife to repent. And if they do not repent, then, they, then we move towards removing them from church membership and, according to Matthew 18, considering them an unbeliever, in which case that would place us in this text with an unbelieving spouse insisting on separation, either through their physical abandonment or their relational neglect, and we would see that as a biblical allowance for divorce. But these things are never to be done quickly, We are to prayerfully consider all of this and to seek God's wisdom through it all. There may be moments when we're slow towards divorce, but because of danger within the home, we bring about separation very quickly. But there will be times when the church, through the counsel of Scripture, needs to say, yes, divorce seems appropriate here. But even in this, we have a gift of a clear mission. Paul says, God has called you to peace. Even as we enter into this this unwelcome and unwanted world of separation and divorce, we have an opportunity to honor God and to remain with God and to be an example of what it means to trust God. And so if you are in that place, God has grace for you as well. Friends, listen, every Christian is gifted and called by God no matter their marital status, no matter their season in life. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. We are all gifted by God. You may not feel like your current relational status is a gift, and God may not always have you in that same place, but as long as you are in that place where you are today, Paul wants you to know that there is an opportunity before you to live with and to live for God, to remain with Him, as verse 24 says, to trust Him, to honor Him, to follow Him, to be a witness of His sustaining power in your life. And so to the unmarried and to the widowed, it needs to be said because Paul says it down in verse 32 it needs to be said even though you may not feel called to always be single as long as you are god has gifted you with an opportunity to live boldly on mission in that place your mission should you choose to accept it and there's grace to accept it is not to waste your singleness even your unwanted singleness there is an opportunity to live aim to not live aimlessly Throughout this season, but to live boldly and clearly for God and for the church, to serve the body of Christ and to minister in a way that your current season allows you to in a particular way, to not squander this time. To the married, Your mission should you choose to accept it and there is grace to accept it is to not quit. To not run away from those hard conversations with your husband or wife. Husbands, lead the life that God has called you to live. Invest into your marriage. Love your wife. Serve your wife. Care for your wife. Lead your home towards greater unity and joy in the gospel even if it means incredibly hard conversations need to be had. Wives, don't quit on your husbands we're not the smartest people around we're weak we need your patience we make many mistakes but don't quit on us pray for your husband love your husband encourage your husband say the hard thing to your husband when needed To those who are married to a non-Christian spouse, your mission should you choose to accept it and there is grace to accept it is to keep loving Jesus, to keep trusting him, to keep being a courageous example of faith and humility before your spouse and to honor them however you can, to live in a way that doesn't hammer your unbelieving spouse with your religious convictions but that lovingly and gently invites them to see the beauty of a life lived in and for the gospel. To those whose spouse has abandoned you, your mission, should you choose to accept it, and there's grace to accept it today, is to rest in Jesus, to pursue peace. We are praying for you and we are asking God to draw very near to you as you walk through this incredibly difficult time. May the God of all peace lead you toward a peaceful trust in him. May he who will never abandon you nor forsake you be by your side even as you grieve the loss of your marriage. God is with you. Friends, may we be a church family that is made up of all seasons of life, all relational statuses, and may we all have ambition to live out these things together for the glory of God, for the good of his church, and for the advance of his kingdom. Let's pray.